Hi, this is Hassle Talks, a podcast series looking at our changing and complex world and the opportunities for design to create a better place for everyone. It's a series that's unashamedly optimistic about creating a beautiful, inclusive and resilient future. I'm Mia Willemson and I'm a senior architect at Hassle. For the last year, I have been working with our sustainability team, working on some really cool stuff like a sustainability framework, sustainably focused research and sharing knowledge, particularly listening to First Nations people. But you know, as I do, that there is so much more designers and individuals can do, which brings me to the episode you're about to hear. I recently co-hosted a sustainability event organised by Hassel's Women In Group. The event was called Know Your Place, a tongue-in-cheek call to confidence for women working in the design industry to know how powerful their role and place is in the change we want to make when it comes to sustainability. In this episode, you're about to get an exclusive insight into that event held in front of more than 150 guests in our Melbourne studio, a converted 1880s warehouse in Melbourne's Little Collins Street. In the centre of our studio, we created a yarning or dialogue circle Yarning circles are used in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and around the world as a way to learn from a collective group without hierarchy, to build respectful relationships and to preserve and pass on cultural knowledge in a safe and accountable way. Our five speakers, who I'll introduce, are sitting in the circle facing each other with the roles of interviewer and interviewee relaying around the circle. The audience, made up of women and men from right across the design and construction industry, are outside the circle listening, interacting and later asking questions. As our five speakers talk, you'll hear about their motivations, failures, successes and ideas for inspiring everyday action in environmental and social sustainability. They encouraged us to be brave enough to fail, to talk about our own journey, which empowers others to make good in their own way. Our evening began with an acknowledgement of country from Kat Rodwell. Kat is a Ngunnawal woman who facilitates co-design processes between traditional owner groups and Aboriginal communities, design teams and project stakeholders. Kat's work encourages us to stop, breathe and connect to help us better facilitate connection to country. Her consultancy, Balatmura, means strong pathway and she was the heart and centre facilitating our panel discussion. Bormanjeka, you are on Brandri Woiwurrung country, the land of people that have been here for well over 60,000 years, the oldest living culture in the world. And I am so honoured as a Ngunnawal woman, which means Ngunnawal woman, to be on Wurundjeri country because their ancestors are everywhere. Beneath your feet, our history sleeps it's what you see, what you hear, the wind, what you feel, even the rain, what you smell. That is country. And we thank the ancestors for allowing us to walk on country and to work on country. To all the elders for sharing the stories, the knowledge, the protocols with us. Because you're all creative people. And my respect to you for embedding these stories of country in architecture, in designs, in the urban designs, in everything we do, we walk together. In my country, we say, which means you are welcome to put your footprints on my country. We walk together. So from Brandri Woiwurrung, I say thank you on behalf of all of us. Kat turns to her right and begins her yarn with one of the founding members of the Australian Passive House Association and certified Passive House trainer, Claire Parry. Claire has a background in mechanical engineering with a portfolio of sustainability accreditations right across the Australian building industry. She lives and breathes a sustainability methodology, working towards a framework that makes sustainability easier for everyone. Country is sick. We can no longer heal country, that's off the table now, but we can connect to country to stop the hurt, to stop the bleed, 
So that's our mission tonight. So let's work together today and let's make a difference. So Claire, I want to know for me, an Aboriginal person, we say country is our mother and we are connected in, on so many levels. So when country's sick, we are actually sick mm. and we can see a huge change in country. And you talk about sustainability, to sustain. We were the first architects. We were the first sustainable people. So I know what we can do. What is a clear path? What do you see as a clear pathway for sustainability? Yeah, I think, I think it's quite contentious because we start to hear and feel free to approach me in the break. Yep. Regeneration isn't the new buzzword. Mm -hmm. I'll say buzzword because in my mind, sustainability isn't about we're here, let's keep going, this is great. It's about connecting back to the, to care for country. And I think, I, I don't know that well enough. I rely on, you know, First Peoples to, to help us with that. But um, I definitely want to make space and open, open up that space for, you know, for First Peoples to help us to understand what sustainability is from a care for country perspective. Um, I, I feel it, mm. I know that I feel it. So it's not about um, a thing that I do for my job. I'm from Northwest Tassie. We won't hold that against you. But, <laughs> but I, I tell everyone that. And if you've asked me about anything about me, I will have told you that because I still feel it, even though I left there a long time ago. Um, but that connection to country is very real and watching the earth and country struggle is very debilitating to me. So I find it, you know, really hard to actually, um, yeah, to, to keep going sometimes. Yeah, and, and for me, just listening to you and the way you speak, you understand that connection to country. Mm -hmm. So in your role, I did read a little tiny bit, so I'm going to admit that now. Yeah. But you talk about, you know, even any one of us in our home life or, you know, the common person can be, you know, sustainable and can live sustainable and their houses can be redesigned. I've worked in the building industry, construction industry, and sometimes it's like hitting a brick wall, literally sometimes, because they don't understand that to design with country, as you all say, sustainability really, really needs to be at the top of that list. So yes. what do you do in your role? Um, I, I spend every day trying to get everyone to understand that, um, <laughs> which is fun. Um, uh, but it's, I, I, I've felt a shift and it was probably just before COVID started, but COVID really accelerated that shift from sustainability was, and we're going to get to this with you, Marie, but sustainability was probably the second last person in the room to be asked in a team meeting, like, you know, okay, the issues this week are, um, waste was last, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, getting, but the shift has been substantial and it's been dramatic. Yeah. Um, and it's only getting more and more um, front and centre. And I might live in a bubble, but I don't, see a single news article, might be reading specific news articles, but I don't <laughs> um, that doesn't talk about the impacts of climate change and um, sustainability and health and wellbeing, which are all linked. And every everything is coming back to, we are doing a really shit job of caring for country, yeah. In one sentence, now you can put you on the spot for this one, in one sentence, sum up, something easy all of us could do towards a sustainable life? Um, I think reconnect. Perfect. Yeah. That's one word, I love it. One word. <laughs> one you're good, you're Become good. Become more efficient and reconnect, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I like that because I said, it's, you're right, because sustainability, people always put it last because they put it in the too hard basket. Yeah. And it's not really. It's the simple things, as you're just saying, you know, reuse, recycle. Yeah. We forget that. And you tend to put that into, you know, houses and what you're talking about. So 
I love that you got that accreditation about that and putting people on the spot to say, you need to be accountable and we all need to be accountable to this. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think all those accreditations were just because I was looking for what's the right answer here. Yeah. And when I started my career, it's like, well, you need all these accreditations to do your job. And I was like, well, these aren't the right ones because they don't seem to work. How about these ones? And I kept sort of following this path and now I've got like 15 accreditations. <laughs> it wasn't intentional, but yeah. Still looking for the right answer, to be honest. So what is the accreditation though? What is it about? Uh, I've got a bunch. <laughs> what is um, the best one? Get, pick best one of them, yeah. So, I mean, the one, the one that I hold probably front and centre for me, yep. because I've chosen to specialise quite specifically, is Passive House. Yep. Um, and it's really pursuing, you know, what is the best we can do with a particular um, built form. It's not always the right answer and it's not the only thing we need to do, but yep. it is... Um, the thing that we do so badly that could make the biggest difference, I think. So, yeah, that's the one I've got. I love it. <laughs> no, it's good. I love what you do because you stand up. And as I said, you're not someone who's going to wilt when you've gone through so many, you know, it's like experiments to get this right. And we're never going to get it right because if we become perfect, then there's no more room for improvement, is there? So... Yeah, I mean, if you hadn't known me when I was about 17, you could have pushed me over with a feather, you know. I, I think it's taken a lot of time to get the confidence to actually find that space in a, in a project, in a meeting room, in, yeah. you know, in, in my work. But um, I think if you just sort of keep asking questions, um, keep following your nose, basically, and I, that's the single, single piece of advice I'd give to anybody starting their career is follow your passion. I know that's pretty trite, but um, nope. find what it means for you, yeah. Yada, thank you, Claire. Fantastic, thank you. And now, Claire turns to her right to yarn with Marie Marshall. Marie is the Director of Waste Management and Circular Economy at WSP, leading a team across Australia and New Zealand. Her zero waste strategies are both innovative and celebrated, arming precincts, councils, and everything in between with action plans that encompass waste hierarchy and circular economy principles. Marie's knowledge of the world of waste is incredible. She knows who generates it, what they generate, where it ends up, and how it can be avoided. Marie, um, so I first met you when I was in meetings with you and Sam, and it was, I couldn't get a word in edgeways, which is why we don't know each other very well. <laughs> but it, what became really, really clear was you're passionate about taking what, you, what your job is um, and what is meaningful to you into your into your life and you know I remember one conversation where you and Sam were talking about trading fruit I think to make oh, no. alcoholic beverages. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us more about you know sort of the translation of your passion into how you live? Uh, yes, um, I did offer Sam my apricots and my grapefruit <laughs> to make uh, a brew. Um, that is very true. Um, I am um, a very much a grassroots person. I um, have embarrassed my family on many a trip. Can you stand beside that bin while my photograph size? It's <laughs> but to the point where my youngest got to prep and went up to the teacher and went, which bin? He was horrified there was only one. And he wasn't going to put it in that bin. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and I thought, oh, gee, it's working. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I go home every day knowing that I've influenced or changed or improved the lives of people who will live in the buildings that I design. Um, waste is one of those disciplines where my decisions and my team's decisions and our thinking outside the box will carry on for the life of that building in an operational mode. Were those chutes easy to use? Did you have the right decisions? Was it adaptable? When the government's now moved the goalposts, we've got four bins in Victoria. Was the design ready for that? Can it change for that? And I go back knowing that I've made an enormous impact. Um, and for those of you who have um, connected with me on LinkedIn, you'll know that I chopped up a rainwater tank that I've had repaired twice recently and it's my wood store. I didn't move it. I didn't discard it. I repurposed it. So, and there's a photo of me in really tatty gardening jeans and a paint-covered shirt with a power drill. And I posted it because I do. I believe in what I do. 
That's, I think that's awesome. I love it. Um, Don't go searching that place. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that there's a lot of power in imperfect, imperfection and in the imperfection of everybody's approach to sustainability specifically. Um, how do you feel about that statement? It's very, very true. Um, if, we, if we were waiting for perfection, we wouldn't be prepared to think outside the box. Mm. My team aren't drilled. Don't repeat the design to me. I want to see an improvement. I want to see alternate thinking. How are we going to get to the next step? And, and the comment came up just before, sustainability, to sustain is to keep at the same level. Well, hang on. I want improvement, not to sustain. I want to put the accelerator on, remove things from the system. I, I want avoidance. Recycling's too late. Right? If you've used it and now you're going to recycle it, too late, way too late. Yeah. You had a decision to make much earlier that to avoid or to refuse and to rethink, did you make that decision before you put the shopping bag in the car or walk to the shop? Right? Avoid it. If you were thinking about recycling that plastic bag, you're too far down the chain. So I think it's exceptionally important. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell us about how you got to where you are. Did you start here and did, is this where you thought you'd end up? No. I only failed one subject at uni, and that was hydraulics. And then I joined the Border Works. Yep, I'm old. I joined the Border Works and I started in hydraulics. And I actually started in um, rock beaching. The Frankston Water Sports Centre, the dam burst, Marine rebuilt it. So nothing sustainable. Um, and I had a boss who... He said to me, you're very green. I thought I meant naive. I had no idea. I was like four years out of uni. He meant I belonged in a green industry. So I, had the, um, I was very fortunate to work overseas and I highly recommend it to anyone who can take a secondment or a travel opportunity. You learn an immense amount about you, your culture and your offering. And I came home and I, um, I was working for a politician and um, eventually I just had to get off that roller coaster. I thought I can't do this anymore. So I did an intentional career change. I cut my pay by 50%. I knew I needed to go and work in a field good industry. I needed to give back, not only to my local community, I needed to give back to me and my family. And so um, I went to work for local government and I ended up in the environment team. And about the second project was to do with waste. And I've now been in waste for over 25 years. So I knew that I'd found my place, um, that I could make a difference and that I believe in it. And one thing you're really good at is, how do I say this politely, making yourself known in meetings. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we, talk, we talked earlier about um, how we, know your place is quite triggering to me, but um, mm -hmm. making, you know, making yourself, um, you know, finding your own space and place. How do you yeah. do that for others? Um, it, that was quite a challenge for me. You're right. I, I am a talker. And so my biggest challenge is to keep to the time. Um, <laughs> and, and I admit that. But as I've become a manager, I now watch other people who are trying to find the quiet time, the break in the conversation and how to get into that. And so now I'm much more aware about intentionally asking people into that conversation to make sure we're all heard. Because I used to go to lead off meetings, inception meetings. W, waste, last on the agenda after sustainability. Yeah. And I'd intentionally wear red. I wasn't going to disappear in that crowd of black suits, baby <laughs> suits. Um, I needed to make sure my discipline, yes, we're small, but we have a high impact on that job. You're not going to get a planning permit with us, us. And so um, I had to fight my way into that discussion. I don't have to have that fight anymore because, yes, I'm very, very fortunate and very humbled um, by the acknowledgement that I get into meetings. Um, most people aware of me, the girl in red with curly hair who turns up um, before I come. And that that's very warming to know that I feel like I belong there. Um, and that, um, which is a bit about know your place, right? You, you become very humble and you don't need that big introduction anymore. But that took a lot of work. But more importantly, 
Bring a buddy, right? Today we brought a buddy. Bring in the younger crowd, bring in people from the outside and make sure they're welcome and involved in the conversation. And I see that as a really big part of my current role as you progress in your career. The sustainability space and probably the space you're working in specifically is changing rapidly. Um, how do you handle not knowing the answer sometimes? Um, that is a really good question. Um, my husband was horrified that I actually said to a client very recently, I need to think about that. It's very un-me, right? I'm a fly by the seat of my pants, so yeah. Um, and, and back my judgment. But occasionally I do need to say to people, I need a moment to think, um, to put it in perspective, uh, to see that it aligns, um, and that I'm not going to jeopardise another component by my actions. I think we, we have to be that, you know, more holistic. And especially as things are moving at a very fast pace, um, we all don't have the knowledge. We're doing an incredible amount of training and expanding our knowledge at the moment. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're in super economy space or whether you're um, in the material space and how are we coming together. Um, it's even more important now that we're working together because we've got our foot on the brake pretty hard trying to slow things down. Um, and to make that huge difference, you know, sometimes it's scary thinking that my predecessor engineers built so much concrete structure um, that we're trying to undo mm. in some respects. Yeah, great. All right. Thank you very much. Over to you. Marie now turns to her right to yarn with Dan Tutton from Creative Victoria. Dan comes from a background in policy strategy and project management in both not-for-profit and public sectors. He has been a board member, chaired community groups and advised in the Department of Premier and Cabinet. He believes the key to change is strategies that focus on community engagement. Dan and I have got to have worked together in the past and over the last few weeks um, we've got to know each other a bit more and I was surprised to hear that you took a career change since we've worked on a job together. I want to know where and was that intentional? It was. I was as surprised as anyone that I had a career change. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of a refugee from a law degree a long time ago. Um, and during COVID, midst of lockdown, um, a great opportunity at a fantastic small not-for-profit called 3000 Acres came up. Uh, and I think I only felt permission to apply because I never thought I'd get the job. So um, always be ambitious in that sense, just putting your application and decide later. Uh, and got offered the job and uh, just had a fantastic year there. Um, it's, so 3,000 Acres, it's a very small not-for-profit and its mission is to help more people grow more food in more places. Um, and it was a real left turn for me. I'd been in public servant for about six years at that point. Um, and I don't know what the context was, whether it was just Lockdown, we had no sense of agency. People were telling us when we could and couldn't leave our home, etc. So it felt like the one part of my life um, that I could influence as well. Um, and so just jumped on with that and completely different experience from the public service and just a real, got a lot of energy from that, um, from a small not-for-profit. Um, I think you, it takes up quite a bit more energy, but you're investing more energy, you get more energy back. Um, and we did some, managed to pull off some wonderful projects during that time. Um, and I'm really focused on community, I think, when I approach sustainability. And I think if you're looking to get into sustainability, find your kind of, what your attraction is, what you align with. Um, for me, it was community, community gardening as well. Uh, and there's a picture up there on the wall. Uh, and that's, I think, second from the right. And that's a picture of, um, a big truck at Ceres with six tons of olives in it. Uh, and that was a project called Olives to Oil um, that we've run a few times. And Olives to Oil was not my idea. Credit where credit's due. The idea was that, well, a couple of angles sustainability-wise. One was that um, it's a sort of a reminding people that we have a lot of resources around us that we just take for granted. Um, and that was the resource. Uh, there was olives on people's trees. So we just arranged for um, anyone who had an olive tree or who had a neighbour who had an olive tree just to turn up to a couple of drop-off sites 
um, and give us your olives and then we would take them away to get them pressed into olive oil and then a few weeks later after that we'd redistribute it to you. It was just a fantastic weekend. Um, it got cancelled about three times due to lockdowns, often on a Thursday night. Uh, just wonderful. We get um, kids turn up with 500 grams in a shopping bag um, and then you get your sort of 80-year-old nonna from around the corner from me who turn up, try to give you 20 kilograms of olives as well <laughs> so she get free oil. Uh, so we, we do that and it's just, um, it just reminded everyone of power of community, I think, coming together for a collective purpose and people who lived five doors down from each other um, for 20 years had never really met um, came together. So it was, yeah, big left turn for me, um, but wonderful. Did that impact your thinking about low food miles in a broader sense? Yeah, it did. Um, and it's, I mean, that was one of the, one of the driving forces for 3000 acres was food security. And a big part of that is, um, you know, uh, accessibility of food within your local area. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I've noticed at home as well, we grow more of our food. We've got a big list of 27 sort of like sustainability goals uh, on the fridge and they range from everything from I think we've got grow this year grow three foods that you've never grown before grow more food um, build a cubby house divest from you know major bank break up with the supermarket um, so we're kind of working our way through that and um, it's been a good reminder that you don't need to do anything particularly don't look for the silver bullet I think to be sustainable there's all aspects of life um, have an impact, so all aspects of life are a bit of an opportunity. Um, and I'm kind of feeling spread thin a bit at the moment. Um, but I, like I run a, um, don't know how, how it came about, but I run a Friday morning playgroup for kids because I've got a young, two young daughters. And we do lots of stuff about sustainability. Um, and I, like, it's just great. Get them young, get them involved. So it's just a default, the way they grow up as well. Uh, on a committee for a kinder. So we, you know, pushed to get a sustainability order, audit for that because um, it's big waste and energy things. So it doesn't have to be a big career change. Um, all aspects of life, there's an opportunity to reduce it. But do do a career change. <laughs> Go and explore it. Yep. And yes, don't, write, don't wait for the perfect role because uh, you don't know what it is yet. And also, if you're like me, you'll just be paralysed with um, indecision waiting for it and it gives you an excuse not to not to go out and explore um yeah so just just go out and try something new diving yeah and i think once you've just head in a direction I, they talk about um navigation airplanes and they say they don't go from a to b they kind of go and then they realign and do that and that's kind of what you do you get to another position you've got a better vantage point you've got new horizons um and i think when you jump you find a community wherever you land um, and they help you model where you might go next um, and you just get a good sense of solidarity. I so, like that phrase, yeah. wherever you jump, there's a community where you land. It's good. So, Dan's quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've obviously got little children. Mm. How do you feel about the footprint you make and the opportunity to leave a lesser footprint for your kids? or to live a more sustainable life with your foot on the brake rather than mm. the accelerator. How do you do that? Yeah, uh, I, I think until recently I've felt like that's a burden question. Like, you know, it's just how do you cast that in other, in any other way than as a negative kind of framework as well. So it's always felt like a bit of a burden you need to work through. But um, I think just with kids, it feels like a, a way to expand your world a bit. Um, I think when we talk about sustainability, it's all about deprivation uh, and reduction of harm, which it is, but I think there's real opportunity to kind of look at how you live your life and change it. And I think um, much of the impact is material through consumption. And that's not kind of what makes for a rich life. So um, I think we've found with the kids, um, you know, they talk about, joke about mum and dad work at the op shop because we go to the op shop all the time. Um, but, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the way they, they are. Um, and I think just, just try little things all the time. I, people talk about um, the bin liner moment. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, you've got, you're freaking out about your, your uh, impact on the planet. 
and you don't know where to start and you, you know, maybe I'll never fly again and all, all, it's all too big. But then you start with, oh, maybe I'll, I won't use a bin liner. And then you slowly, oh, that was pretty easy. And then you move on to the next thing. Um, and you start reaching out to other people as well and you get involved in the local food swap or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and it just kind of cascades from there. And the sense of possibility, once you've taken that first step, I think just expands your ambitions and your sense of agency and capacity builds as well, I think as well. Dan now turns to Sam Pert, Hassel's Global Head of Sustainability, to Jan. As you'll hear, Sam, like all of our speakers, lives and breathes sustainability with work spanning 20 different countries, steering sustainability strategies and initiatives across a wide variety of building typologies, and now helping Hassel to innovate and embed sustainability. I feel like uh, you're probably the more entrenched in terms of uh, linear sustainable sustainability career. Like it feels a bit capital S sustainability career. So I just want to, you know, perhaps for the benefit of some of the people here who are starting out, just to talk about what appears like a linear journey, but which I'm sure is not, just where you started from, how you've worked through it. Um, so I actually started in an architecture degree. Uh, and this is something I've said that I'll only say to people at the pub over a beer, but now you've put me on the spot in front of a lot of people. Um, <coughs> okay, pretending. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I was changing universities and uh, I was at the pub when I was filling in the paperwork to change universities and ended yeah. up in an engineering degree. <laughs> so uh, that's about uh, as uh, the, the kink in the linear that, that happened, but um, off the back of that, um, ended up at Arup for, me, for an internship. Uh, started in what was the ESD team before it was, before ESD was about, um, and then kind of went from there. So 14 years with them all about the place. Um, then was lucky enough to be given a, an opportunity at uh, Development Victoria once I got back um, into the, the country after I did Sydney, Singapore, Los Angeles, and then, and then Melbourne. Um, and that kind of gave me a little bit of a different perspective going from a consult, consultancy, consultant type role um, into uh, not only a developer, but a government developer, um, kind of <clears throat> changed my tack a little bit. Um, and that's why I met you, which is okay. fantastic. Uh, and then uh, was uh, uh, kind of dragged Claire into the fold. Uh, so I did uh, two years, nine months of de development Victoria with a really motivated, awesome crew. Um, developing up their sustainability strategy, building a team. Um, Claire's taken on that mantle, is doing a much better job than I was, which is fantastic. Um, and then uh, Hassel kindly uh, let me stroll through these doors and um, I've been hanging out with these guys for the last six months, which has been fabulous. So usual self-deprecation, Samantha. Oh yeah, absolutely. So just, <laughs> just on that note, um, how do you influence? You've been in, what, three pretty big organisations <laughs> now. How do you get sustainability on the agenda? Uh, make, make friends and make phone calls, basically. Um, what's been really interesting moving from, you know, we, we talk about, Kat talked about it as an eth it's an ethos, right? Mm. It's not a job. Mm. Claire talked about that as well. Um, actually, we've all kind of talked about that um, and we'll get to, get to this bit when I get um, my turn as well. Um, but moving from or entering the workforce, basically, in, in, a, in a box, in a mm. this person does this job, and that's it, everyone else does other jobs. Um, then moving into an organisation where it just was about active, or almost like handing over agency to a whole bunch of like 250 really motivated people with 45 projects. It wasn't, here's how you're gonna do things. It was, tell me about all your 45 projects. And we did, we mapped all 45 projects. It was like, right, how can we help on every single project? That was 45 projects. Um, and then moved over to Hassel. It's 700 people and 400 and something live projects. Um, and before I accepted the job, and I think Gerard's here somewhere, um, I was like, all projects, all people, or not, nothing. And they're like, yeah, go on, Sam, good one. <laughs> um, but again, coming in, it's like, there is so much energy, so much motivation, so many runs on the board already. And it's not about me and a team of people in the corner doing sustainability. Um, it's about reminding everyone that they've got the skills and the power and the projects and the networks all they need is a little bit of confidence and a little bit of a safety net and we're on. So that's what I've been kind of really enjoying about the different roles, but also has been really humbling along the way. Yeah. So something about permission there. Um, yeah, how do you, how do you, how 
how do you give somebody permission? I mean, do, do people, it sounds like people need sometimes to be given permission rather than give themselves permission. I think it's a really sorry state that we've got ourselves into that people need permission, yeah. right? Um, I was, I had a, a conversation a couple of months ago and someone, you know, I'd been working in government and someone said to me, I'm surprised you've moved into a design practice because I thought your other role would be more impactful. I was really offended for myself, but also yeah. really offended on behalf of the industry that that's the way we think about things, that the person with the title that's been in the box for X years or X decades is the one who's got the permission to do this. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I guess my push and the push for this whole kind of discussion um, and what we're trying to do at Hassle is remove the need for permission. Mm. Um, and, you know, Claire talked about, like, failure and successes and sharing those, so did Mia. Um, I think that's really key. I think remembering that it's not just the box you sit in behind your desk, you can pick up the phone, bring people in. You don't need permission. Um, if you're not sure, like the self-awareness and authenticity that's come up as well, pick up the phone. Someone's going to be ready to help and, and you don't, you know, you've got the skills, the networks and the platform to do something uh, and we've all talked about how we've done that kind of in our own lives as well. So. Ask forgiveness, not permission. That's it. That's <laughs> done that one too many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and just is there a cultural change when you come into a new organisation? Or so I feel like you've been a bit recruited in a way, so that your reputation precedes you a bit. So I feel like the organisations are perhaps primed or think they're primed before um, you arrive. No, I, look, I think it's usually a cultural change for me, which is always what's so exciting about it. Yeah. So the first three months at Development Vic, the first three months here, I was basically just chucking hours in people's calendars, having one-on-ones, asking, what are you working on? What motivates you? What, I've been asked not to swear, but what pisses you off? Like, you know, I've also been asked not to talk about beer and I've done that already, so, you know. <laughs> um, it's just getting to know the heartbeat of an organisation, the people that work within that organisation, and I need to adapt in order to, to kind of like have influence, but like not influence people. It is about building confidence, building agency. If people are like, I really want to do this, but I don't quite have the tools, it's like, well, let's sit down for an hour and figure out what you need. I'll find a way. If I can't give it to you, I'll find someone who can and we'll yeah. get on with the job. So I think for me, it's not about kind of the difference in culture. It's for me really about adapting to the, the I guess, the space that I've been given to walk into, understanding what my place is in that in that yep. community um, and doing what I can to support them to do it on their own. It seems like there's a, a mindset as well as a skill set and I wonder if there's people around the room who are probably starting out. Um, people talk about confidence as a skill set as well as, you know, formal qualifications like Claire has as well. So is it your experience that just the energy is bringing energy to it and a bit of a passion is important to formal qualifications? Um, I think that's, that's important but I've kind of... Whenever I've spoken to anyone in this organisation, it's just about two things. Self-awareness. If you know how to do it, crack on. If you don't, find someone who might. If they don't, they can connect you with someone else. Um, and authenticity. If you didn't do it, don't say you did it. If, you know, we, if we did kind of learn something um, instead of driving something, let's talk about that. It's the successes and failures piece. If everyone plays by those two rules, then we, we all have a role to play, right? And if we all just come up, like, rock up, either to pick up the phone or sit it across a table from someone with self-awareness and authenticity, um, then that's super powerful. All of a sudden you've activated an army. So I think that's it from my perspective. Brilliant. Ooh. Thanks. Thanks for the last but, Hey, I love it. I love it. And finally, Sam turns to catch a yarn with her, completing the circle back at the heart. So we have heard a lot about what you do now. Um, and you've been a fabulous facilitator and, and host thus far, but um, tell us about Kat, your story, where you came from and where you, you know, how you got to where you are now. I was a PE teacher in a formal life, so don't hold that against me. I, I always stand up for what I believe in, no matter what. My father always instilled that in me. My father's the Aboriginal side, my mother is the Irish-English side. When I was teaching a lot, I always, as a PE teacher, I also taught geography and that, and I could always see there was nothing taught about my culture and it was really hard. And I come from an era where we weren't allowed to say you're Aboriginal. We weren't allowed to speak our language. It was taboo. And as soon as you mentioned you're Aboriginal, people would shut off from you. And that was really hurtful. So I had to pretend to be something I wasn't. 
And so, as I said, it was always in search of where I belonged. And after a while of teaching, which I loved, I thought, no, I've got to do something. So that was my breakthrough to say, no, I've got to stand firm. I want to find out and help people understand that connection to country. Because it was that connection to that country that made me get up from, you know, a job that was secure to go, no, go travel. So travelling around Australia, I started up my own business and started working with BHP and Bureau Veritas, which are here, Coca-Cola, and I was working with their HR and everyone to try to get Aboriginal people into their companies. And my first job was with a company that was their South African team, white South African. So in comes this Aboriginal woman speaking language and I looked around and I heard him say, yeah, from South Africa, and there was dead silence. And we all just stared at each other and went, this is going to be a hard yakka. <laughs> so, but after a while, I said, it was a big challenge of eight months of getting them to understand culture and why we had to embed it in the company itself. But from that, you know, I said I was a, an Aboriginal woman. In my culture, it was you have males, you have certain other things, you have females, Aboriginal men, other people, and Aboriginal women are right down here and still are. So I was thinking, fuck of that. So <laughs> I just thought, what can I do? So I said, okay, I'll do it myself. So I started that lonely journey of traveling Australia, working with companies, um, doing indigenous employment projects, which is what the government called it, getting funding and helping them to do it. In the meantime, I got to know a lot of traditional owners and elders, what was going on, and I could always see country changing and country was always talking to me. We say it talks to us through the wind, through the leaves, touching the tree, it talks to us. And I could see it was something different about it, that we were slowly destroying it. We were hurting mother. So I thought, okay, I've got to do something else about that. So I thought the best people to work with in projects were architects. <laughs> so for me, it was more like getting architects to understand that what you design needs to work with country, needs to connect with country, be a part of country, but it also needs to tell a story. It can't be just a building, a structure. It needs to be living. And that's what I did say, I did stalk you a little bit, but not much. <laughs> living building, and you're right. Every building should be living and having a story. And that's what it needs to be. So that was, that's my lot in life. And coming from not many people in my space to now there's quite a few people, which is great. It was hardcore because no one wanted to listen to a female, an Aboriginal female. And even my own people thought that was, you know, hard. They shouldn't be doing that. So. I was deemed a wandering auntie and still am because that's my place. I travel a lot. I haven't found home yet. I do see Victoria as very welcoming, so thank you very much. Coming from Western Australia over to here to your lovely weather. So <laughs> in shorts, mind you, in the middle of winter from mm. Perth. But um, it, it's been a very difficult journey. But today marks something really big in my 24-year career as a First Nations advisor, and that is... I never thought I'd see the day where an Aboriginal female would be hosting something like this because we're always left out. And that's why I don't go to a lot of women's events because I'm not included really. So to me, this is sustainability because you're sustaining our culture, our beliefs, and I'm able to share that with you and call you my allies, my brothers and sisters. So thank you for doing so. That's in short. Thank you. It's all um, thank you so much for sharing that and thank you so much for agreeing to, to host, host this event as well with, um, with our wonderful Mia. Um, we talked a lot then about um, kind of describing well, sustainability is caring yeah. for countries is, is kind of the, the quote mm. and you talked about it, we've all talked about it a lot as an ethos um, and you've talked about every building should be a living building and those sorts of things. How, like, I've been working with a lot of the teams here around not just slapping extra stuff on yep. or removing stuff during, you know, documentation, mm. but altering the way that we actually start evolving the way that we're setting ourselves up. Yep. What advice can you give on setting yourself up um, to practice um, caring for country and practice sustainability from the get-go? I honestly believe throw away what you've been taught because it, it's doesn't work. And I can honestly say, hand on my heart, and working with a lot of people here, and Craig be testimony to this, because I turned their world upside down, and Christian, where 
we throw out what you've been taught about designing and that term now, which is out there now, designing with country, which I never know where that's come from. So I, for me, it's you need to listen. And that's the hardest thing for everybody is to sit down. I come into my co-design, co-decide meetings with traditional owners when I say, don't bring a pen, don't bring a pencil. I need you to sit there and just listen. Listen to what we have to say. Listen to the stories of country that we are gifting to you. Listen to country and what she is saying to you. And I've got a quote up there and I firmly believe in that. Mine is stop, breathe, connect. But you need to listen to country. And that way your designs are more creative. But not just that, you bring our stories to life within the architecture, within the landscape, within the biophilia. So listen. What would you say, because we're, you know, a lot of the things we get is it's too early, it's too late, I don't have time. How would you uh, encourage people to take the time? I say early engagement is crucial. I'm really firm on saying to bring you on a cultural journey. I'm there to help facilitate things, to make sure that you have that wonderful experience of knowing our culture. But at the same time, you're there firsthand. So you're listening and hearing all these stories and our elements and our protocols firsthand. As a consultant, I'm not saying it's gonna come through me, then I'll tell you. I want you to be there in that room or wherever we are on country, preferably, to listen so that you hear those stories the way that we tell things. We are oral traditionalists. And if you haven't thrown out by now, I'm a storyteller. So yeah, so the thing is, it's more about getting in that early engagement before you even think about designing. Because if you don't have that early engagement, you're designing things, things that you think we want, and it's not. And I can tell you now, it's not about the kid in the candy store, who can build the biggest building, who can build the shiniest thing. They're not stories of country. Stories of country are things that you can say, when you're designing, can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you smell it? Can you feel it? That's connecting to country. That's true designing that early engagement process. And as I said, be respectful because you've got to remember you're being welcomed into their home. We're knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell, wait to be invited. Don't go in there and change the channels and you know move the furniture out and raid the Tim Tams in the fridge and you know do all of that. Just make sure we have permission first. And if you don't know, simply, Ask first. Um, I am going to steal the final question you asked Claire because yep. I thought it was fabulous. Ooh, yeah. And yeah, what is one thing that everyone in this room can do tomorrow? I, I would love you, I would love everyone to go outside. If possible, take your shoes off. I know it's cold and I know it's wet and I know it's raining, but that's country and feel country beneath your feet. I want you to, what does that say, stop, connect to country, take in that breath and really feel and let yourself know, I wanna know what you hear, what can you smell, what can you feel? That's my takeaway because that's when you can truly say, I sort of understand your culture, I know where you're coming from, Hey, wouldn't that be great after that big C word? We're not going to mention the C word after two and a bit years. Coming back into the city, coming back out of our homes, which we really like now because we don't want to go back into work, is experiencing what it's like to come back and that beautiful experience of saying country is inside the buildings as well. It's everywhere now. And you can tell that today by said everyone is here. We need to experience country. So take your shoes off, put them on the ground, scrunch them up and really feel country. That's my takeaway. Amazing. Thank you very much, Kat. A pleasure. A pleasure. Okay. So my takeaway from this when we talk about know your place, it's experiences like we've talked about today. It's about, you know, your passive house. How do we do this? How do we do something that's so, it can be so simple, but make it so connected to country and the fact that, you know, it may take a bit more money, it may take a bit more of thought process into building homes, building buildings, but it's the long-term gain. Is it the person that stands up in the room and says, all that rubbish doesn't have to be the rubbish. 
it has a place, it can have a purpose. Remember to put out which bin's the correct bin. <laughs> and it can be sharing a food, recycling our food. I go past lemon trees all the time and I wanna go pinch them because they're a dollar a lemon. But the thing is, there's so much food wastage. What do we do about that? There's so many things we can do. We are privileged that we have food. And it's a simple thing of coming in and standing firm on your principles, saying no, this has to be top of the list. Sustainability needs to be top of the list now. And for me, listening to all this, it resonates so much because we've been doing it for thousands of years. And now I finally hear you all saying, not to say I'm right, Kat, I'd like to hear that, but the fact is that you're listening to our culture, that you're now taking it seriously, and it only takes small steps to make one big footprint. So everyone can start thinking in your role in the workplace, in your role at home, in your role in community. How can you know your place, share your place, but also keep it going? As I said, we can no longer heal country, it's too far. But we can connect, we can help stop what we're doing, destroying country. The feeling in the room on the night was amazing. I'd say it was quite hopeful what the future can hold and having all these young women and some men um, be involved in such a difficult topic of discussion um, was really inspiring and uh, having that attendance in person was um, extra special. It's so easy to feel overwhelmed with the topic of sustainability and listening to the panellists tonight really they broke it down for us in their career and experiences and, and told the story on how they've had some failures and successes and uh, playing on the theme know your place it doesn't matter what your role is you can do something i think it's really important to um, ask good questions or, or even bad questions uh, having the topic out there even if you don't know the answer is really important and it doesn't matter if you have all the knowledge in the world or nothing um, that's how you can make change and over time you might build skills up like our panellists contribute in a certain way but it, it just starts with that one question and that's a small step but it's in the right direction. Thank you to our brilliant speakers Kat, Sam, Dan, Marie and Claire and our event guests for their enthusiasm, questions and support. We had a lot of fun. This event was organised by the incredible women of Women In at Hassel. This episode was produced by Prue Vincent. Audio support from Miles AV. Head to our website to find out more about sustainability at Hassel. Thanks for listening.